Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Well, here we are. Week 17. We've done it. That's kind of a meager uh, applause there. Uh, 17 weeks in a book that has six chapters, and we're going to be finishing up tonight uh, the book of Galatians. Um, just by way of review, Paul has written his letter according to his classic structuring device of the indicative and the imperative. In the first four and a half chapters, he has been laying out for his, his audience who Jesus is, who they are in light of Jesus, um, the fact that they are now heirs according to the promise and brought into this family of Jesus. For Paul, his gospel is just Jesus as opposed to others who have snuck into the community who have said it's not just about Jesus, it's about Jesus plus circumcision, food laws, Sabbath laws, becoming, in a sense, a Jew. So we have these, these, these different um, ideologies that are competing within the churches of Galatia, and then Paul moving from that indicative, this is who Jesus is, this is who you are, into a time of imperative, where you say, now in light of this, this is what you must go and do, and comparatively speaking, that is a small portion of the letter compared to Paul's overarching argument of who you are in Christ. And tonight, Paul is going to just kind of finish up uh, the last little bit of his letter. This is Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. It says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. So Paul begins, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. I love this verse because it's so practical and not what you would call like devotional. As I was sitting uh, thinking about uh, some of the verses that find their place crocheted on pillows and on coffee mugs, I thought about this verse and I spent an inordinate amount of time making this graphic. 
which I think would be pretty sweet if we just had this coffee mug and Paul's letters. See what large letters I, I use as I write to you with my own hand and then maybe slap an eagle on there just for that motivation that you need in the morning and may God's word speak to you as you go. This isn't one of those texts that has a lot of inherent meaning in it. It's certainly not one who uh, would have a life verse, although um, I did teach at Salisbury Christian School where every senior was uh, demanded to choose a scripture passage that was their life verse or whatever for the, the yearbook. And some of the real like snide kind of whatever dude sort of people would pick the most outlandish verses that you could find. And this one wouldn't have factored into there, but I could see some of the snide type folks thinking maybe this is one, because on, on the surface, it doesn't seem to communicate much more than Paul just saying that he is writing to these people. Now, throughout Paul's letters, specifically throughout the undisputed Pauline epistles, that sounds really technical, doesn't it? The letters that people do not doubt that Paul wrote, this was something that he did. Usually he would have a scribe or someone that he was dictating um, the text to that was writing for him. And then at the very end, Paul might go on there and write like a little P.S., this is Paul, thanks for listening, see you later, that, that sort of a thing. And this is what's happening here in Galatians. It also happens in 1 Corinthians where Paul jumps on and says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. He's gonna take care of that last little bit. Or the book of Philemon, it says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Other uh, texts such as Colossians and 2 Thessalonians, which might fall in those disputed Pauline epistles. Some people kind of argue as to whether or not Paul actually wrote these. We'll leave that discussion for a separate day in Colossians says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. In 2 Thessalonians, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all of my letters. This is how I write. Paul is, is kind of signing the end of this letter to let people know that he is a part of this. And it's almost as though he, he's sending out, there's, uh, this is kind of a bad example, but when you open your mail and you get a form letter, you don't spend a lot of time reading it unless you see some ink at the bottom. And you might look down to the ink at the bottom because you know somebody, a real person, has actually spent time writing that out to you as opposed to just putting your name in a blank that would be filled out throughout the entire letter. Um, and Paul is, is jumping onto the bottom to say, like, these are the things that, that you need to understand. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Scholars have also spilled a little bit of ink with regard to why Paul is writing with large letters. Some people would say that Paul has an eye deficiency. He can't see very well. So when he gets on there, his, his letters are, are huge compared to that of the scribe, the professional type person. You can't really go too far with that. Um, just so you get an idea of what this might look like, this is from uh, Codex uh, Sinaiticus, um, which is a Greek manuscript that's 400 or so years past when Galatians would have been written. But back in the day, all of the texts were written with capital letters and all of the words were scrunched together with no regard to when the line would break whatsoever. So you can imagine this text going on and then at the bottom, bigger capital letters with no space in between where Paul has penned his own greeting and end to the letter. One scholar says, uh, this is J.B. Lightfoot writing in like the 
19th century, I believe, to arrest the eye and rivet the mind is what Paul is doing. And that is why he is writing with such letters. It's almost like he's italicizing, saying, hey, look here, this is the really important stuff that's going on at the end of this letter to let you guys know what is going on. Scholars, again, they, they look at the ending of Paul's letters to see like these are the, the classic markers of what goes into a typical Pauline conclusion. But in Galatians, it's different. In Galatians, we don't have a greeting. We don't have a request for prayer. We don't have a doxology. Instead, we have this grace benediction, this peace which we have a, a signature. But we really have a concluding summary that takes up five or six verses in the last bit of Galatians where Paul is saying, in review, these are the things that I want you to hear yet again, just so that I know you won't botch them up. Paul is going back, writing with large letters, but also going back to say, hey, italicized, bold typeface, understand what I am saying here to you, churches of Galatia. James Dunn says, in this case in particular, Paul's conclusion was clearly an opportunity to underscore his special concerns in the letter and to leave no doubt as to where his emphases lay. Paul getting this one final chance to discuss the cross of Christ, the gift of the Spirit, and new creation. In light of this large argument that Paul has been rolling out for these churches that are in the midst of controversy, in the midst of confusion, he's coming back again and pleading with these people to understand the importance of Jesus and what he has done, to understand the gift that we have all been endowed with, which is the spirit living in us to guide us and to lead us and to understand new creation that it is happening in our midst and that we are now a part of it through Jesus. Paul is pleading with the people, do not succumb to the bad teaching that you have heard. Remember who you are. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he has done for you. Remember who you should be in light of it. Remember everything that I have told you. Remember that new creation is happening and you are a part of it. For a church that might be struggling with their identity, Paul lays it on real thick. And 2,000 years later, we benefit from that because we still struggle with our own identity, with our own calling. And I'm not talking about vocational calling. We struggle with who we are to be and how we are to be that in the world. And Paul is calling us back to these central core tenets of his message. He goes on to say, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. This entire book is about circumcision. If you've spent more than one week here, you have probably heard me talk about circumcision. You may have heard me talk about circumcision ad nauseum at this point. You've learned more about circumcision and foreskin than you ever would have wanted to in your entire life, let alone in this building. It doesn't seem right that we keep talking about these things, but yet here we are because for Paul, this was the deal. The people that he was engaging were being compelled to be circumcised just to hedge their bets, just to make sure that they were in, just to make sure that God would be pleased with them. At the core, we're really not so removed from this 
discussion, even though for us it's not about circumcision. There's other tribal markers that we have deemed to be, this is what marks out a true Christian. There's other identity markers that we now have said, you must have this or believe this in order to be in the family. And this is what the Galatian churches have been dealing with. There's a pressure group among them that's saying, you can't just accept Jesus. You have to accept Jesus, but then you have to be circumcised. And then you have to follow some laws. And they were beginning to compel those people for a number of reasons. And for us, it might not be circumcision, it might be other things, but what Paul is wanting to impress here is that there's, there are people here that are trying to compel you to be circumcised, and the only reason they do that is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For them, they didn't want to deal with the difficulty of something completely different taking shape. They didn't want to deal with the difference of everything that they had ever known being overturned by God in his work through Jesus. And imagine the people at this time, what they had only known is circumcision, Jewish identity markers, Sabbath, food laws. That is what marked people in. And what Paul came along to say is actually something completely different has happened. Jesus is enough, and all you have to do is trust him. It's almost like they thought it was too good to be true, and they begin to force people into being circumcised so that they would not be persecuted. This will make a little bit more sense as I show you my very chic, very modern, very nice diagram of the people groups of Galatia. But just hold on, hold on, guys. I can sense your excitement. Dial it down a little bit. We'll get there, okay? These people, they want you to be circumcised, Paul says, so that they might boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Richard Hayes says, Paul's rivals want to display the foreskins of the Galatians as trophies of their persuasive power. Yeah, I just put that in there for shock value. Because sometimes when you're reading commentaries, like that's just what you gravitate towards. That's what you latch on to. But there is truth here where Paul's rivals, they want to boast in the fact that this person and that person and this other person has been circumcised. They've kind of checked them off so that now they're, they're in the family for sure. They have the Jewish identity markers that have marked out a specific people, that have marked out God's people since the time of Abraham. Now, here's my really sweet diagram of what's going on here. Hopefully, this is review. Paul, as a missionary to the Gentiles, has showed up to the Galatian Christians, and he has, he has talked to them about Jesus, and he has um, explained the gospel to them. Paul's gospel is basically this. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, something has fundamentally changed the fabric of human history and the course of the entire world. All you have to do to become part of this new creation is believe in Jesus. And I don't mean just have this cognitive belief that Jesus was the son of God, that he died and that he rose again. I mean that you can believe in Jesus and align yourself with his mission. That's all that you have to do in order to be in the family. And the Galatians at this time, they became Christians because of Paul's ministry. But when Paul leaves, Jewish Christian missionaries showed up in the midst of these churches of Galatia who had been pressured by another Jewish Christian group that has said, 
it's not as simple as what Paul is saying. You must go and get them to add on to their belief system in order to be in the family. This Jewish Christian pressure group is, is, is forcing these Jewish Christian missionaries to go into the Galatian Christian churches and saying it's not as easy as what Paul is saying. And when Paul gets wind of this, he goes back and says, no, 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 no. The gospel at its very core is Christ and Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say, don't forget it. Remember the experiences that you have had, Galatian Christians. Remember the spirit that has been working in and through you and do not be swayed into thinking that you are less than or that you need to add on to your salvation in order to make sure. Let Jesus be enough. Basically what Paul is dealing with in this book is cultural imperialism, which says become like us. For the Galatian Christians at this time, they were hearing from the Jewish Christian missionaries, these pressure groups saying, it's not good enough for you just to believe Jesus. You must become like us. You must take on the marks that we have. You must do the things that we do. You must become like us. You must act like us. You must think like us. You must interpret like us. For us, we could sneak in a couple extra words. You must interpret the Bible as we interpret the Bible. You must believe like us. It's not good enough what you're doing. You must act and imitate how we have understood the faith. Paul is wrong. We are right. Do the things that we're telling you to do or else you are cut off from this people. And this is creating an identity crisis within these people. Richard Hayes again says, uh, with regard to cultural imperialism, he says, this can happen not only when Christian missionaries encounter non-Western cultures and sadly are past with missionary work. It's got a, a huge um, black streak on, on our effectiveness because as we go into non-Westernized places, we, we attempt to make them Western. We attempt not just to let people hear the gospel, but to become American or to become European or to wear your docker khakis and your button-up shirt in order to be in the family. There have been moments throughout our Christian past where we have done this, but cultural imperialism does not just happen when Christian missionaries encounter non-Western cultures. It also happens when established churches frown on charismatic churches or independent churches outside of the usual denominational structure. And you can even pause there for a second and say, for a good cooperative Baptist, as we are, don't know if you knew that, but we are good cooperative Baptists, or at least, I mean, I am, you guys can choose to join or not. That's up to you. But there's been like these denominational moves where people have said, it's not just about if you're charismatic or if you're independent, but Methodists are Methodists and everybody else is less than. Or cooperative Baptists are cooperative Baptists and we're right and everybody else is wrong, especially the Southern Baptists, good heavens. Or you might say the Presbyterians, they're, they're right and everybody else is, is terribly wrong. It's not just Western versus non-Western. It has shows itself in this tribal mentality of who's in and who's out based on denominational division within the church. He says it also can happen when older Christians object to the musical and artistic forms of worship among younger Christians. Story. 
Kate and I were attending a church plant in Southern California, and probably like the second week we were there, part of the worship included uh, an interpretive dance, which took me back to my past, which I sort of rejected very swiftly, because you had somebody kind of skipping and jumping around in the front, and I had no idea what was going on, and I kind of felt like this, like, ah, yeah. Is this just me? It might might very well just be me. but like, there's other things that happen. Like when it says here that older Christians object to musical and artistic forms of worship, it seems foreign. But the aforementioned cooperative Baptists, every time we go to the general assembly, there are breakout sessions that still are embedded within what is called the worship wars. And you've got 60 plus year olds that are complaining about the 20 and unders that are playing acoustic guitars and acoustic guitars are from the devil. I don't know if you knew that, but they are according to some people. And there's very much this this cultural distinction between how is the right way to worship and how is the wrong way to worship. And for some people, it's only organs and voices. For other people, it's only voices. And then for people like us, it's whatever sounds good that we can get, you know, you guys going a bit. Um, And there's difference of opinion on what it is. Uh, is what is proper. Hayes continues, it most certainly, this cultural imperialism, it also most certainly happens in every case where ethnic pride or nationalism co-ops the gospel. This doesn't need commentary. If you're awake and you're reading the papers and you're hearing the commentary of what is being said in the name of Christ in our moment in time, Cultural imperialism is happening through ethnic pride and also the nationalism that is co-opting the gospel. He concludes, after reading Galatians carefully, we will find ourselves prompted to scrutinize our churches to see whether we may be unintentionally nullifying the grace of God through explicit or implicit membership requirements that are unrelated to the heart of the gospel. Dang, Richard Hayes! Dad, he went there. And as a church, this is certainly something where we need to step back and say, are we unintentionally nullifying the grace of God? Are we adding on to the list of what people must do or think in order to be in? The tendency and the danger is certainly there because I don't know if you can identify with this, but I think I'm right about everything. And I want other people to think that I'm right and be right with me. And sometimes there's a danger there in expecting that with regard to faith with people in order as a litmus test for who's in and who's out. And there can be this moment, especially in TRP, which is a pretty heady congregation, which appreciates the intellectualism of our faith that digs deep, that goes beyond the surface, that is not afraid to dig our heels in, to read books, to engage in conversation. And there's a danger where we become the intellectuals that say, you must think like we do in order to be in. And if you don't, I mean, I guess we can be friends, but you'll be wrong. There's a danger there where we think that, and it could be even worse if we start to stack up membership requirements. I don't mean membership requirements to TRP, but membership requirements into the family 
of God that are unrelated to the heart of the gospel, which is at its core, just Jesus. Just the belief that he is the son of God, that he has died for our sins, that he has been raised from the dead, that he has initiated new creation and we get to be a part of that. And so does anyone else who expresses faith. We go back to Galatians chapter three and Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, hearkening back to Genesis chapter one, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He has broken down every dividing wall he has allowed any person, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of culture and background, to be part of the family, to sit at this metaphorical table that we talk about every single week. As long as we claim that Christ is Lord, that is what allows us to sit at the table of grace, not what we believe about this controversial topic or that controversial topic. Now, as we look at this list, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. That's not really a discussion that we have. We probably don't also have discussions about neither slave nor free, but in the American church, we might have conversations about race. We might have conversations about sexual orientation. We might have conversations about gender identity. We might have conversations about different socioeconomic statuses and the people that are in and the people that are out. And we might, by our own prejudice and our own experience, to begin to decide who's in and who's out and nullify this passage that says it's not about that. It is about Jesus working in people's lives. But sometimes for us, that's not good enough. We want Jesus plus all the things that we hold dear and all the things that we believe because we've spent the time studying, we've got it figured out, we are right. And we say the only way this chair is getting pulled out is if you can pass this quiz that I'm about to give you. But Paul says, we are all one in Jesus. Now I know that what I just said over the last couple of minutes, that's a bombshell. But I also know that this is at the heart of what Paul is talking about, because for us, it might not be these categories, but there are other categories that we decide who's in and who's out. And in so doing, perhaps we begin to nullify the grace of God. Paul continues, the only suitable grounds for boasting, it's not the amount, excuse me, the amount of foreskins that uh, we can show from our Gentile Christian audience. Okay, let's move on. That's not it. The only suitable grounds for boasting is the cross of Christ. And he says, and through this, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In my preparation for this, I don't know if there's any way that I can, I can really bring this home to us in a way that, that encapsulates the gravity of what Paul is saying. Everything has changed. Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, has fundamentally changed the world. We could pause there for a moment and say, do we get that? Do we understand that? Are we on board with that? 
Or has this just become the status quo? For those of you that have grown up in the church, for those of you that have spent time every week in these seats, perhaps you're bored of walking down this, this aisle and taking the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Perhaps this is something that's inspiring you to kind of be like, well, that's just what we do. Perhaps we have forgotten that everything has changed. Paul and we have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul's own verbiage in the earlier chapters of Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Do you understand the gravity of that? Paul and we, we have a new identity. It's not based on what our parents say of us. It's not based on what your teachers say of us. It's not based on what your boss says of you. It's not based on what your spouse even says of you. It's not based on the, the thoughts that you have in your mind that continue to push you down and say you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not thin enough, you're not smart enough, you're not whatever enough. It's not those voices. We have a new identity through Christ who says you are a son or you are a daughter. Believe that and live in light of it. Paul and we, we are part of a new creation. It's not just about me and it's not just about you. Whatever gospel you have heard throughout your time, no matter how dim the lights are in the house and no matter how many times your hands have gone up, it's not just about you. It's about this community that's being reshaped in the name of Jesus as this world is groaning and crying out, waiting for the culmination of the age when Jesus shows up to make everything right again, to which we are a part of it now and we get to participate in that making right now. Did you, did you hear what I'm saying, people? We are participants in the new creation and the things that you go about in your daily life, the conversations that you have, the time that you spend with homeless people at a shelter, the time that you spend sowing seeds of the spirit, the time that you spend talking about Jesus and inviting people in, the time that you spend with those on the margins and the outskirts and you invite them in, the time that you spend allowing people to see a different image of Jesus that's working in and through you, that is part of the new creation and you are building it here and now. It is not just about you, but we are privileged enough to be a part of it now. Woo! I'm getting all sweaty up here because it's not just about the things that we may have heard in the past. We are part of this new creation. Wright claims not only has the Messiah, now this one's wordy, but just kind of close your eyes, hear the words of my voice as I, as I call them out to you because this is thick and juicy and it is beautiful. Not only has the Messiah been crucified, not only have Christians been crucified with him, Calvary was the turning point of history. The death of Jesus was the turning point of history. The cosmos has had sentence of death passed on it so that God's new world, God's new creation can be born out of the old. Everything is changing. This new creation, it began with Jesus himself at the resurrection. It continues with the spirit given new life, which we have, which wells up in all those who belong to the Messiah. That's us and will go on until the whole creation will be set free from its own slavery and will share the freedom of the glory of God's children. A freaking men, N.T. Wright. That's the gospel. Jesus has changed everything. We get to see it. We get to participate in it. And we get to await its culmination at the end of the age. 
Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Here's some Greek for you, because this undersells what they're saying. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but new creation. New creation is everything. Same kind of idea in 2 Corinthians 5, which is traditionally translated, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. When really what Paul is saying is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's like he can't even, he can't even wait to the punchline. He's like, if anybody's in Christ, new creation, new creation. It's happening. It's here. It's now new creation. It's everywhere. It's in the, the fabric of all of human history and we can see it and we can participate in it. And it's us. We are in it. And we get it and we participate in it. <sighs> I'm sorry. Tonight, right? Like all of, all of the ads are saying like, every question you've ever had will be answered about the mysteries of the universe and about this is us. After watching an emotional Super Bowl where your team will either lose or win, you will either be jubilant or you will be close to your own death. Watch This Is Us and experience someone else's death. I mean, that's, that's dark. That's where it's going. But like they're saying, everything about this show will be summed up in this one episode. This is a terrible tie. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the Super Bowl. All I want to say is that for Paul, everything is summed up in new creation. That was a pretty bad, that was a pretty bad tie, right? But maybe you'll remember that. For Paul, it's about new creation. Everything that you need to know, that's what it is. Because that's what Jesus has done. And that's what Jesus has initiated. He says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. We don't understand the gravity of this. Paul is basically saying, non-Jews in the room who have submitted themselves to Jesus, who follow him, you are part of Israel. You are heirs of Abraham. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to have Sabbath laws and food laws. You're already seated at the table. The Israel of God includes us. Paul is concluding this letter, and I'm just going to rattle these off. The points that I see him making over these last few verses, remember who you are, Galatian church, but I can also say very clearly, remember who you are, TRP. Remember what Christ has done for you and has done for the world. Remember that his work is enough. In those moments where you do not feel Sufficient when you do not feel as though his grace is going to cover you, where you do not feel worthy, where you do not feel part of the family, remember that Jesus' work is enough. Remember that you are endowed with the spirit of the resurrected Christ, that Jesus lives in you, that the decisions that you make, you can potentially be led according to the spirit. Trust the spirit. Be led by the spirit. Manifest the fruit of the spirit in your life, Paul would say, to the Galatian churches. And then be able to look and say, it's working. We see it in them. We see it in the uncircumcised believer who most folks would say is not in, but we see the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance. We see those marks in them. And never, ever, 
never. Abe has this really cute thing now where whenever he's like wanting to um, encapsulate like the, the largeness of something, he'll say, never, 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 ever, never. Like he'll just keep on going with these sorts of attributes. And this is what I've been thinking about with Paul. Never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever substitute or add to or take away from this gospel. Let it form you. Let it shape you. Let it motivate you. Let it transform you as we move from here into the image of Jesus with every breath that we take because it's no longer us who live but Christ who lives within us. Live like it. Live as though the Spirit has taken over and is guiding us to be agents of restoration, reconciliation, redemption, agents of hope, love, forgiveness. The bitterness that we have, let it go. The people that we need to forgive, move into forgiveness. The places where we need to forgive ourselves, forgive ourselves because Christ has already forgiven you. Allow those things to shape and mold us and remember new creation. It's who we are. It's who we have become through Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I'll close with this. But when I was a kid, that wasn't the gospel. When I was a kid, the gospel was, if you don't do this, then you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what Paul is after here. Jesus has changed everything and you have the opportunity to become a part of it, to experience it, to work for it, to come here and now to bring heaven to earth, to understand forgiveness and to extend that to others, to wait with eager anticipation for all that Christ will do in making this place right and working towards that here and now with the relationships that we have with people in our closest family relationships and those that we just meet by chance at Wawa or Walmart or wherever it else is that we go. May we remember, constantly remember that new creation has come, that we have experienced it. And as Paul would say to the Galatian churches, do not go back. Do not change that in for circumcision and law keeping. Do not go backwards, but always go forward because that is where Christ is taking his church. Get on board. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your gospel. We're thankful for the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. We are thankful that we get to be a part of it. God, we talk about new creation and I know it hasn't sunk in even with me, but tonight let it just be something that scratches the surface as we uh, continue to think and pray and, and be led by your spirit into um, a new understanding of what we have been allowed to receive, what we are able to share with others, and what we are eagerly waiting for you to complete. God, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that through him everything has changed. Help us to believe what Paul is saying and help us to understand that it has real life impact for us in our lives, in the way that we treat people. And we ask that you would be glorified in and through us. May we look for opportunities to serve. May we become the least. May we allow you to become great. May we constantly look to your spirit to guide us, that we would figure out what that looks like and what that means and that we would be open and willing to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in and through our lives. We ask these things to your great glory and honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.